Would you open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 to 4? And if you've been following along with us, you might say, wait a minute, we skipped the Good Samaritan. Wait a minute, we skipped Mary and Martha. Uh, We're focusing right now on prayer. Uh, We want to hear what the Spirit is saying to us through His Word. And and just even thinking about this weekend, uh, we had our men's retreat, as Andrew mentioned, and it was fantastic. I mean, there were about 50 men there, and our speaker was absolutely amazing. H.B. Charles Jr. from Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, he couldn't preach this Sunday, but he's going to come back soon Uh, Looking forward to spending more time with him. What a dear brother and what a powerful preacher, a powerful expositor. So our men were fed a rich diet. And I told HB, I said, uh, because I thought that he was going to be preaching something else. And the Lord directed him to the Lord's Prayer. And I thought, well, I'm preaching the Lord's Prayer on Sunday. And and now half the congregation or a portion of the congregation has already heard it. Uh, So I really was trying to be sensitive to the Spirit and see just what He is saying to us. And so we're going to slow down a little bit. And and that's good for me. Uh, I need to flex and slow down a little bit. Uh, We're not just trying to get through Luke. We're trying to hear the Word of God. Amen? So we're going to be looking at uh, one word of the Lord's Prayer this morning, and I pray that it will be uh, significant. Uh, I also want to recognize uh, a brother who has served so faithfully and uh, has been leading a team of men to cook breakfast for our men uh, for a long time. And I, I just want to recognize... Uh, three men in particular, uh, Pat Talley and Earl Garrison and Jimmy Hart uh, got out to the men's retreat about five o'clock on Saturday morning and cooked a huge feast of a breakfast for the men and have served so faithfully. And I just want to say thank you. And our whole congregation thanks you for the way that you have served so faithfully. So would you just recognize these men? We love you and we thank you. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Would you pray with me?
Father, what a privilege it is to call you Father. And how we take that so for granted. Oh God, let us glory in the gospel together. Let us glory in the reality that you have made us your children through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us be reminded that we were your enemies and we were the children of wrath and you have made us the children of God. Lord, change us. Teach us to pray. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I always called my father daddy from a young boy. I always did. Other people called their dad's dad and father. I always called mine daddy. And I think for so long, it really didn't mean that much. That was his name. <laughs> I just called him daddy. And I was so safe and secure in all of the realities of that that I, I really took for granted what that meant. And about two years ago, close to his death, <laughs> I can remember sitting on the sofa with my daddy and watching the Hallmark <laughs> Channel <laughs> and putting my head on his shoulder. And I remember just thinking, Daddy, it means so much to me. I was just confronted by the reality of what that meant, when before I had just taken it for granted. And in a much, much greater way, we all do that to our Heavenly Father. It's just the start of our prayer. Father, Father in Heaven, our Father, and then we use it when we're trying to figure out what to say next, and we say, Father, Father, Father. We, it's almost like, um, so many times. And I think that when the Lord is teaching us to pray, Father, we need to stop. Because there are gospel truths and implications that we learn in this very word that we say that we just take for granted. One commentator said this about the Lord's Prayer. He said, the Lord's Prayer, even in this briefer version, the fuller one is in Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount is a model not in the sense that these are the actual words with which we should pray, but in the sense that these are the lines along which we should pray. And yes, I like that because, because what we don't want is a rote prayer that is just a religious prayer that we repeat and it means nothing. Father, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Forgive us our sins. Give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. And we go through this and we check it off the box and, and, and they're just words. Jesus is teaching us to pray, not just to say words, but to pray on the lines of these. And I I had outlined this, and I was going to preach this this morning, really the whole Lord's Prayer, verses 1 to 4, and then we're going to come back next week and, and talk about persisting in prayer and go through the rest of the passage And I wanted us to look at the precious truths about the fatherhood of God, number one, and then the priority concerns about the glory of God, number two, and the practical needs common to the children of God, number three. And really, look at this as a model that we pray along these lines. But really, after this weekend and after prayer, I want to slow down and take three weeks to cover these three points. And so really look at this Sunday, the precious truths about the fatherhood of God. And I mean precious. When I, when I say that word, what I mean is the ex- incredibly valuable, priceless. These truths that we treasure Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Jesus' prayer life prompted one of the disciples to say, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Like John taught his disciples to pray, Lord, we want to pray like you. In the Gospel of Luke, the prayer life of Jesus comes up again and again. Luke is focusing on the prayer life of Jesus. It's one of the themes of the book. And we get to this point in chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, where Jesus, in response to the request, teaches his disciples to pray. Notice it's his disciples. You see, not everybody can pray this. It's the disciples of Jesus that can pray this. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. J.I. Packer says this in his book, Knowing God, and Our men have studied this book. Our women have studied this book. It is a classic. God has used the writings of J.I. Packer for generations, for equipping of the church. And he said this in a chapter on sonship. He said, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. 
He goes on to say, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctly Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. It's the covenant name. If we think back to the old covenant and you think about Exodus chapter 3, remember when, when the Lord speaks to Moses through the burning bush and, and he reveals his covenant name, Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. He is the Lord who is the self-sufficient one, the independent one, the transcendent one, the one who does everything according to the counsel of his will. He seeks counsel from no one. And he has revealed himself. He says, this is my name, the Lord, the Lord. And in Exodus chapter 34, Verse 5 and following says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is after the giving of the Ten Commandments. This is later, much later than the burning bush. But he proclaims the name of the Lord. He proclaims his character. He proclaims who he is. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. And if you know this passage, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And what you know is behind that word is the divine name, the covenant name of God, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is a merciful God, a patient God, a kind and loving God, and a just God. He doesn't wince at sin. He is a holy, holy, holy God. And this is the God who revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and to the people of Israel, the covenant people of Israel, who were to proclaim his name to the nations. They were to be a light to the nations. And the glory of the Lord was to go to the ends of the earth through their proclamation through their living in covenant faithfulness with this God. And they failed over and over and over. They were prideful, independent, 
They turn from God and, and they turn to idols. But this God is so faithful to all of His purposes and all of His promises. And Paul says in Galatians that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. Born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, His only begotten Son, His unique and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we come to know God. This God who has revealed himself in the scriptures. So when we pray, Father, we are thinking about incredible gospel truths. First of this, first is this. Number one, before faith in Jesus, we could not call God Father. I want you to get this. Before faith in Jesus, we could not call God Father. See, a lot of times you hear in, in the culture, and, and maybe you've even said it yourself, and you look out and you say, we're all God's children. No, that's not true. God is the creator of all, and he is fatherly to all. Amen? But he's not father to all. In John chapter 1, verses 11 to 13, the scripture says, He came to his own, Jesus came to his own people. And his own people did not receive him. They rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Before faith in Jesus, we could not call God Father. He was not our Father. Our Father was, as he told the Pharisees, your Father's the devil. We were children of wrath. The wrath of a holy God was on us. We were enemies of God separated from a holy God because of our rebellion against God. We were not the children of God. We were children of wrath. And this is a, an incredible truth that we need to remember even when we say Father because it should remind us that there was a time that before Christ we couldn't call Him Father. We were in rebellion against him. And we were the children 
of wrath. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this. Verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's a good description. We were sons of disobedience, not sons of the living God. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Okay, are you seeing that? All of mankind outside of Christ, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. Not, as the world would say, we're all children of God. That's like going to a funeral of an unbeliever and everybody trying to console one another by saying, they're in a better place. That's not the truth. If they have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and salvation and eternal life, yes, hallelujah, they're in a better place. But we speak so casually. But this is the truth. Before faith in Jesus, we could not call God Father. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Number two, through Jesus Christ, we have received adoption as sons. Now we call God Father. <laughs> Through Jesus Christ, we have received adoption as sons, and now we call God Father. The passage I read in Galatians just a minute ago, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So what Jesus did in going to the cross was he laid down his life for sinners like us. He took the wrath of God that was coming on our sins and he took it in our place. He stood in our place as the only acceptable substitute for our sins. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds, we are healed. See, God counted his death in my place, in your place, as the just punishment for our sins. 
so that he could be just and the justifier of everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ. He has forgiven us. And so he has credited the death of Jesus to our account to pay the penalty for our sins. But he has also credited the life of Jesus, the very perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. He has credited it to our account. He has clothed us in his righteousness that we could stand before God. As one definition of justification, and really that's what we're looking at, is being made right with God, justification. And it's a, a catechism answer that says justification is the act of God's free grace whereby he forgives all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight. So forgiveness and acceptance only on the basis of Christ's righteousness that is imputed to us and received by faith alone. So justification is acceptance, forgiveness, all based upon what Christ has done in his finished work upon the cross, in his life, death, and resurrection. We're made right with God. That's what has happened in order for us to be reconciled to God. But in J.I. Packer's book, he talks about justification and adoption. And he says, although justification is one of the highest and greatest doctrines of our faith, that we are made right with God based upon what Christ has done in our place. He says adoption is the highest blessing. So turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 at the very beginning. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, watch this, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. One of the, the highest blessings in Christ is that we have received the adoption. And throughout the New Testament, when Paul is teaching on adoption, it is tied to us belonging to the Lord because of his love, in his great love, he has loved us in such a way that he sent his only son to die in our place, to reconcile us to God, that we might receive the adoption. That we might be a part of the family of God. And the very love which, with which the father loves his unique and only son, he has loved us in that way so that we experience 
the love of God through Christ. And, and we experience the blessings of Christ. And we receive the inheritance of Christ. The Bible says we're co-heirs with Christ. And that means that all that Christ has received from the Father, it's also given to all of the family of God equally. Love to all of the children. An inheritance to all of the children. And it's the inheritance of the firstborn son. We're We've received adoption as sons, not just children in general, but as sons. And it, it takes us back to the Old Testament and the understanding of the rights of the firstborn. The inheritance, the double portion of the inheritance goes to the firstborn sons. The very inheritance that goes to Jesus goes to all of the children of God through faith in Jesus, through our union with Christ. So through faith, in Jesus Christ, we have received adoption as sons, and now we call God Father. And I don't want us to miss this, because this is one of those theological truths that it, it, it fuels our worship, our thanksgiving, our adoration, our glorying in the gospel, and it moves us to say, Hallowed be your name. And when we start here and we say, Father, and we understand what we're saying, we can't stop. Lord, would you act in such a way that your name would be hallowed not only in my life and in our congregation, but in Savannah and to the ends of the earth. Let your glory fill the whole earth. In Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I love this. Now, why this fear and unbelief? Has not the Father put to grief his spotless, spotless Son for us? You have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that, that God has poured his love out to us by the Spirit. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 1, John says this, To see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
And this is just a reminder that, that we need to know who we are in Christ. We should remember who we were outside of Christ and know who we are in Christ. We are the very children of God, co-heirs with Christ. We have the inheritance and it changes everything. Don't be anxious about anything. Fear not, little flock. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. No fear. No anxiety. Because we know that our Father is good. And He loves us. And He has demonstrated His love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has demonstrated His love fully and supremely in the giving of His Son in our place. And now we are the sons of God. Brothers and sisters, we are all the sons of God with an equal inheritance in the family. We have rights and responsibilities of being in the family of God. And we're to reflect His character We're to proclaim His glory. We're to represent His name. And it's a great privilege. And when we say Father, we need to be reminded of what a privilege it is to call Him Father. Number three, we have intimate and bold access to our Father through Jesus Christ. See, there's an intimacy. When we say Abba, Father, this is an intimacy that a child would speak to his father and say, Abba, there is a familial aspect to this that we have experienced maybe to a small degree. And, and quite frankly, some of you may have never experienced this. And, and maybe the reality is that your experience in your family has been really bad and your father was really bad. But don't put his failure on the Lord who has revealed himself as the good father. Who has revealed himself as the faithful father, the one who loves you in such a way that he sent his son, and if God is for us, who can be against us? And we'll see that passage in just a moment. We have intimate and bold access to our Father through Jesus Christ. The writer to the Hebrews says this in chapter 4, verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our Confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, through Jesus Christ, we can have boldness and confidence and and intimate access, continual access, 24-7 to our Father that we might receive mercy and grace in time of need. He's never absent. He's always 
listening, and always caring. Never too busy to hear from his children. So when we say, Father, let's remember that we have intimate and bold access to the Father. And we know this Father, and that's why this is a new and better way. The writer of the Hebrews talks about a new and better covenant than the old covenant. Because now we have this kind of bold and intimate access all the time through Jesus Christ, through his finished work upon the cross and his high priestly ministry. Don't take that for granted. And finally, number four, we have deep assurance of the Father's love. Deep assurance of the Father's love. I mentioned just a minute ago in Romans chapter eight. And Paul has been speaking about these glorious gospel truths that this five-link, unbreakable chain of salvation that those whom he foreknew he predestined and those whom he predestined he called and those whom he called he justified and those whom he justified he glorified. And Paul's response to that is this, verse 31 of chapter 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's demonstrated his generosity in giving his son. Why would we think that he would be any different in all of life for us as we follow the Lord Jesus? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The answer is a resounding nothing. No one, nothing in all of creation. He says, verse 37, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that is assurance. See, your assurance is not based on what you do and how faithful you are. It is based upon the very character of God and his demonstration of that character in the cross in sending his son. We can bank on it and we have deep assurance of the Father's love. So when we say, Father, and Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount to say, our Father. This is in the context of community and a family, and we need to remember that we're not an, an only child. H.B. Charles said that this weekend. Don't think you're an only child. No, you have a vast family who all shares the same inheritance. 
And God has poured out his love equally on his children. Before faith in Jesus, we could not call God Father. But through Jesus Christ, we have received adoption as sons, and now we call God Father. Everything has changed. New covenant blessings through Jesus Christ. We have intimate and bold access to our Father through Christ. And we have deep assurance of the Father's love. So when we pray... And we say, Father. Let it change you. Feel the glory of the reality of being able to call God Father. He is not a distant God. He is near and he's faithful and he's loving. And he loves you in such a way that he gave his son to make you his child. Let's live like children of God with that reality. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for how you have revealed yourself how you have loved us even before the foundation of the world how you have been so kind and generous in sending your only son the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us to be raised for us so that we might receive the adoption as sons let us glory in these wonderful realities. May it cause us to rejoice. May it cause us to weep. May it cause us to pray and to praise and to exult in you. But Father, please don't allow us to be neutral and casual. Let us not take for granted the privilege of calling you Father. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.